It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy and Super Spurs streaming boy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> Super Spurs streaming boy. That's actually Dan, not me. I was I was merely uh, organisation talent. But it was so good, Nathan. Tell us what you did. Uh, well, well <laughs> I put together... Uh, uh, a a group viewing on Discord of the 1961 FA Cup final uh, between Spurs and Leicester, and we got about 20 people in there at once watching together, chatting with the three of us, sort of commentating over the commentary. Um, it was good fun. It was funnier than I thought it was going to be, um, which is sort of owed to the sort of the differences in the game between now and then. But it was it was it was insightful too to sort of get a get a look at some of those sort of players that um, for I think most of us we we've heard about but not really seen much. Yeah, I mean, I actually felt a little bit ashamed that I'd never watched that match before. <laughs> uh, but it was really, really enjoyable. And although it's not a game in which Spurs play particularly well, uh, as you say, there's a lot to still be interested in. Uh, not least the fact that one of the Leicester players picked up the most ridiculously serious injury and then played <laughs> on for the majority of the match, which I had no idea had happened. Bardi, was that news to you as well? I think there was there was, there was a lot of news in this because I didn't even realise there was no yellow or red cards. We were watching the tackles fly in and we were yeah. thinking, that, that's that's a tactical foul. They brought him down there. Where's, where's the yellow card? And they weren't introduced until the 70s. The fact that there was no substitutes or anything like that, it, it was it was mind-boggling that how things were so different. But then there was things which were very similar, the way um, Blanche Flower stood out as someone who can put his foot on the ball, see a pass, move through challenges. Uh, yeah, so it, it's strange to see how football has progressed, but also nice to see how some things remain the same. Yeah, absolutely. Blanche Flower definitely stood out. Um... So he was so, he, yeah, like he, he really stood out on a, not so much, 
much of a performance level we kind of get the feeling but like just on a on a technical level mm. he was just so advanced to everyone else on the pitch he really ran the show for, for the first sort of 60 minutes or so he did he did uh other standouts i thought were uh morris norman at the back who was <sighs> a colossus in that game i didn't yeah. really know much about him but he was great uh cliff jones who we know like everyone knows about cliff jones because he's still a popular character even at the stadium now at a, a ripe old age and he looks he looks great for it he was very lively and then uh bobby smith who gets a golden assist in the second half i mean he wasn't it wasn't a perfect performance from bobby smith but he showed some real talent in his golden assist so that was really good to see i thoroughly enjoyed uh watching along and we're going to be repeating the event um what date is it we're doing it on nathan it's a week monday isn't it so what's that that is the 18th of may 18th of may (laughs) at 8 p.m um if you've got a discord login then look out for the extra inches tweet if you haven't got a discord login you've got plenty of time to sign up for discord and we're going to stream hopefully the 1984 uefa cup final which would be good fun. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Ahmed Abdullahine, who wrote one of the nicest emails I've ever received. Uh, and this line stood out. I've spent the majority of the past three years as a journalist in Iraq, and your podcast was at times the only thing I had to look forward to amidst truly terrible conditions. And that was so heartening. I'm so glad that we were kind of able to give you some escapism, Ahmed. Um, and your email generally was great. He says, I have a question I hope you guys will discuss in an upcoming episode. Is it possible to play Ndombele and La Celso together in a midfield two as part of a 4-2-3-1 and we have spoken about how we fit them both into our team going forward we haven't really spoken about them in terms of a double pivot um what do you think Nathan I think that was the big question sort of coming into the beginning of the season is could we play those two as a midfield two or we need Harry Winks behind them and I think the truth is that none of those scenarios are really suitable enough I, I don't I wouldn't say like never, not not in a single game, not as a matter of emergency. Um, but I think generally we want to play those two ahead of a of an out and out defensive midfielder, or maybe play themselves as, as part of the attacking trio instead. I, like you've got to get those two on the pitch together for sure. But I, I don't think they constitute a midfield just on the two of them. Well, that's it. You, I think if they could play together, but you're not going to maximise their potential if if they're playing together, right? Because you're restri- so. you're restricting them in terms of what they have. To to do um Bardi what do you think no I don't think the the current level of conditioning of Endombele and the way La Celso plays I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that we can play them as a two unless it's against a team which is totally going to drop off us and we don't really need to be slightly concerned about any kind of attacking threat from them but that's, even then that's a good point I mean we saw Ericsson play in a double pivot against was it Swansea I want to say yeah, I think. Back. Yeah, I think against a team that is sitting. Say, say for example, we play Burnley uh, at home, and they they score a lucky goal. Then you kind of in the first ten minutes, you kind of know how the game's going to go from there. And I think the way they will just retreat will will kind of lead into at some point those two playing together and being fine. But I don't th- I don't think we'll ever see us start in a match unless unless there's been injuries with those two as a double pivot. Mm. Agreed. Uh, okay, Mark E says, "How is Windy's FM 2020 season getting?" on so I bought uh, Football Manager 2020 I hadn't played Football Manager for many many years so it's taken a bit of getting used to because it's very detailed now uh, essentially I'm, I'm coming to the end of my second season and I still have a chance of winning the title I won the League Cup uh, so I'm Spurs I should say obviously otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it here um, uh, so I won the League Cup but there's a caveat to that in that in one you of cheated. the well, I didn't cheat but uh, well I kind of <laughs> did cheat but not deliberately so in one of the early rounds oh, yeah. I, I yeah. lost 
lost. <laughs> I, lo- I, I lost like in the fourth round or something. And then I lost another game on the back of that. And then the game crashed and didn't oh, save. Oh, that's unfortunate, mate. Yeah. Oh, some sort of memory issue going on there, isn't there? Or you just tripped and your fingers fell and controlled oh, the leap. Whoops. Hasn't <laughs> so, happened since. Hasn't <laughs> happened since. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so so that the, the League Cup win is basically meaningless to me. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't celebrate it, I couldn't enjoy it because it came with that caveat. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's enjoyable with Spurs. If I'm honest, I'm kind of looking forward to starting another save as a smaller club. If if that makes sense, um, mm-hmm. it it almost feels not easy because it's not easy because you've got Liverpool and Man City to compete with. Uh, but it feels not that much of a challenge if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you, do you guys have recommendations of good fun clubs to start with in the latest? Football Manager. Um, well, I'm not. I've gone back. I'm now playing Football Manager 2012 just because I wanted a I wanted a break from from the newer ones. But um, I guess there's always the the teams like Portsmouth and teams like that which are further down the league who have a little bit of history. You always want a club which has a bit of a stadium and then a bit of a bit of support to help you kind of move, progress through the league. So Portsmouth's a good one. And Sleeping Giants. Sleeping Giants. Coventry is a good one. They got a massive stadium. So you know those those teams there. If you really want to challenge it. Nice. For me, the ones to go after. Nice. nice I like nice. Uh, Leighton Orient as a football mm. manager team. Why is that, Nate? Uh, they're sort of like, <laughs> like all of the other London clubs are like our fierce rivals, whereas Orient are sort of like our local mates almost. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we played reserve games there for a while. Yeah. So and they sort of um they've obviously had a rough time at things recently, so it's sort of nice to to bring them back around. Cool. I'll give that a go. Sweet. Okay. Right. Quick fire. We've been linked to, and people have been asking about Mernier, Koulibaly, Region. I don't know how to say Region. And Willian, uh, and also Huibier, who we've spoken about a bit before. Um, let's get your thoughts on these players. So, Bardi, what do you know about, and do you like Mernier, Koulibaly, Reguillon, and Willian? Um, I'm going to go with the two I know a bit more about. So, Koulibaly is an excellent defender. He hasn't had the best of seasons, but no one at Napoli has. I think the way the teams that are kind of chasing him at the moment, I think we're probably priced out of him. Um, he's, he's, he's another one of these players that is so expensive has ended up being stuck somewhere longer than he should have been. And he's now edging towards his late 20s, which now means if you want to bid for him, you're going to have to spend a huge amount of money. And I just don't see us. I don't think centre-back is that much of a panic for us. So I don't mm. think we'll see that. But um, if I was a team like um, Chelsea or Liverpool, perhaps it would be something that I'd be looking at. Uh, William William's an interesting one. I think, in my opinion, he's he's an upgrade on Lucas. I think he's a bit more reliable, a bit more dependable. His stats kind of a better match than Lucas. He's more assists, more goals, more key passes, the rest of it. So I can see why if he was available cheap, he'd be a good option. Mourinho loves a, a winger who's also very tactically astute and able to defend. So I could see why we're linked with William. But um, out of Koulibaly and William, I think William would be the more likely for, to join us. How about you, Nathan? What do you think of these links? Okay, Thomas Mounier, uh, good in attack, questionable defensively, a little too old, so no. Koulibaly, uh, the, the problem we have with our centre-backs at the moment is that we have two very, very good centre-backs who are winding or have wound down, and Koulibaly is pretty much exactly the same, except maybe a year behind, so that doesn't solve any problems. Uh, Reglion, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm huge on him. Really, really special left-back. Uh, I, I tweeted about him before, what I really like 
like most about him is that he can sort of play the inside left back or the outside attacking left back and you you can you pick him in the starting 11 and then work out what you're going to do with him which I think is really useful for us at the moment and William no god no absolutely not uh Hoivier, I want to sort of go away and and look at his games this season I'm 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 I'm, I'm undecided on him but if but William is an upgrade on Lucas, so okay, there, there I would I, I would simply remove way. Lucas from the squads and <laughs> and play the self so in the attacking band and and worry about minutes with Delhi and, and Son and um and um Bergwijn. Bergwijn, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I kind of agree with both of you there that yes, William is absolutely an upgrade on Lucas. I I think that's almost undeniable. Um, but it's it's marginal gains, isn't it? You know, if if we're at a point where the rest of our squad was fine and we just needed to tweak around the edges then yeah maybe William would be a good signing yeah. but even on a free transfer you know he, he, he's coming with a signing on fee one of the highest uh, he, he would be one of the highest earners in the squad he's I think he's on 120k a week at the moment that's going to put him right up there at Spurs uh, he's 32 is yeah. he going to be able to maintain fitness is he going to be able to play multiple games a week I, I doubt it he's not really done that at Chelsea uh, for a while um, yeah uh, it's not a priority area as well as the other thing with William I, I I don't see that as an essential, and I think we need to be sticking to essentials given the potential financial constraints. Um, Kulabali, I really like, but as Nathan says, he's twenty eight, coming up twenty nine, something like that. Um, I'd rather go for a younger centre back if if we're going to sign a centre back. I don't really know Reguion. I, I, I'm sure I've seen him play for Real before, but he's been on loan at Sevilla, uh, and I, I know very little about him. But if if Nathan says he's a good player, then I, I trust your judgment, Nathan. And and Hoiberg, I really I really like. Uh, we had a discussion about him in the last podcast, and I'm not fully convinced that he's the right man after that discussion. But I think he's a good player and would be a good option in our midfield. Okay, next we have some hypotheticals about getting football back. So John Doran, who is JD to the D, he says with a fully fit squad but very limited training and lack of match fitness, do you think we have a chance of making up the ground to get a Champions League spot? Well, I mean, Son should be in good shape since he's been doing military service. So there's that. Uh, but what do you think, Bardi? Do you th- is it a case that everyone's kind of in the same boat, or are we more hamstrung because of Kane and Sissoko and Son coming back from injuries? No, I think everybody's in the same boat. If anything, we're we're probably in a better position coming back with Son and Kane uh, back and available to play. Uh... I don't know. It's, it's it's a lot of points to make up on Chelsea. I think we got a question later on, which even talks about the possibility of no European football. So it does kind of mean what well, it, it could mean nothing. Top finishing top four this season might actually, for the first time, actually mean nothing. Might not get you anything. Um, I think that's a lot of points to pull in Chelsea. And I did have hope earlier in the year of possibly catching Leicester until until we lost all our strikers. But yeah, I think I think it's too much to catch Chelsea. It will be more a question of if football comes. Back. Let's see. Um, let's see some positive effect from Mourinho, and let's see the team working towards what we're going to play next season. Nathan Tom Wedge says, with regular player testing, which presumably the Premier League could justify by providing funding for ten times the tests it uses or something, we could get back to playing behind closed doors, couldn't we? Is he is he being desperate, or do you think that's possible? <laughs> well, they're they're really talking it up at the moment. It 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 it's looking more and more like something is going to happen. They're putting in place all of the plans, and I think that it is fucking insane 
but um, it looks like it's going to... If you get, like, one player test positive in the entire Premier League, then everyone he's been in contact with suddenly has to go into a two-week quarantine. Or do you just ignore that and play on, and then the virus will just spread? Are the players meant to leave their families, or do they bring their families with them? Are they just going to live in a bunch of hotels together? What quality... Are they going to be... If they're going to be a single player who says, no, I don't want to do that, and then what is the knock-on effects of that? I just, I just, I can't see how it's possible under these conditions, but I think they're going to try anyway. We're quite good at ignoring concussion, so I imagine we could be quite good at ignoring <laughs> coronavirus true. too. Okay, Seamus Hart says there's a huge likelihood of restrictions on international travel and the mandatory 14-day quarantine until a vaccine is widespread. Why is football still continuing with the idea that European places are important? Is there anything to play for if the Premier League return? Buddy, you were kind of just touching on that a, a moment ago. Um, mm. What do you think? Is this... I can't, even if the Premier League comes back, I can't see that European football will return for some months, if not a year. Um, does that kind of diminish the meaning? Does that diminish the meaning of the Premier League if there's no Champions League places, for example? I mean, football needs to, football, I'm not, this isn't me saying it needs to come back, but for itself, football needs to come back because there's the the question of relegation to, to sort out. I think that, I think that needs to be fixed. They need to take a decision on that. The league title is less complicated because Liverpool is so far in front had there been two or three teams battling for it or within a couple of points of each other I could see the necessity to get back <sighs> unfortunately I think probably call it off Liverpool get the title nice big asterisk next to that that we can always <laughs> all sing about and then perhaps I don't know maybe bottom team Norwich goes down and then whoever's top of the championship comes up that perhaps is the only fair way to do it I, but I can see why it needs to come back because there's question marks around that European football probably won't happen it, it's, it's impossible that exactly like Nathan said that these players can exist in bubbles which we know they can't the reports of what players have been getting up to even top players <laughs> yeah. with their managers you know these players are human beings they 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 need to see people they need to get out they have the same mental troubles that we have when you're stuck at home by yourself so I don't see that happening if there has to be 14 day quarantine but a decision needs to be made regarding relegations and I think the Premier League is bottling it by just not making a decision and just trying to get the season and back and the and the game's finished to decide for them. It's funny, there's kind of um there's two elements to it. There's the element of football needs to happen because there is a serious risk that many clubs will go under. Mm. And and I completely appreciate that. And then there's the the other element which is we need some fun back in our lives. So let's put on the circus that is the Premier League and all clap along uh, with the talents just completely thrown into the lion's den, if I can continue that metaphor. Um, it's it's troubling to me that we would risk the health of Premier League players for the sake of either finance or a bit of frivolity. I, I think it's, as Nathan says, it's, it's madness to even be contemplating it at this point. I mean, a couple of months down the line and things might change again, but it seems way too early to me. And I think I'm right in saying that Germany's um, death rate has gone up a little bit over the last few days since they started relaxing things, and they're still going to intend to bring back the Bundesliga, aren't they? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I can't get my head around any of this. Um, it's just, I, I, I appreciate that I'm obviously this is not at all my area of expertise, um, but it's like it, it seems so clear to me that there's there already is the growing second wave in all the places that have let up. As soon as they began to decline, it doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't see that as a solution. Um, this weekend, uh, the UFC is back with their first card since since closing down, uh, and obviously that's a sport that at least somewhat lends itself 
more to these sort of conditions. It doesn't require, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people and, and, and all sorts of teams and stuff. Um, but they're still being quite flagrant with things. Um, things are generally more flagrant over in the, in the States, the way they're sort of approaching it. Uh, there's a fighter on Saturday's card who has asthma and he's come out as saying that he's terrified about the potential Jeez. results. And yeah, it's just insane. Um, so, uh, they're apparently testing everyone involved, but, I, I, again, I, even that seems really, um, out of reach. So it'll be interesting to see what the, like, you know, the fallouts are from, from this weekend's card. Mm. Okay. So, uh, assuming that European football does continue, friend of the pod, Daniel Platt, who is Voodoo Chopsticks on Twitter, he says, since it's looking like we might end the season early, if you could choose between qualifying for the Europa League or not, what would you choose? Fewer games, brackets, doing a Leicester Chelsea versus money and easy group games to blood you in though fairly difficult knockout games I, we've had this discussion a couple of times before mm. buddy but i think it's a, i do think it's an interesting point and there are definitely benefits to not being in europe at all in terms of a schedule um but what do you think of the europa league um I've, yeah you said we've spoken about this before I, I, my stance hasn't changed i think more football matches the better uh, i don't have a problem with us playing youth team second string players throughout the europa league until you kind of get to the quarterfinals and then all of a sudden the possibility of um of, of winning it is there it remains a reasonably straight not straightforward but if you look at the, the teams that get to tend to get to the Europa League final there they are our kind of level of teams and I think it remains a, a possible a way to get back in the Champions League especially when the Premier League is getting more and more competitive amongst the top four mm. and what do you think Nathan I am not a fan of the Europa League <laughs> or certainly not with its relationship with Tottenham um I think it does more than harm than good for us in terms of the travel and the extra matches that you're you're not getting the 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 glory and the thrill and everything of of what you get when you compete in the Champions League midweek. You're just having this weird sort of slog where you rotate, but not enough enough that players are still suffering with fatigue from the travel uh, and the division of training time, but not getting yeah the youth minutes. I, it just doesn't work for me, or it, we haven't made it work for us very well so far. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying that we. We've never had any benefit from playing in Europa League. Obviously, you know, Harry Kane getting minutes um, in that competition a few years ago was obviously worked out incredibly well. Um, but I just think it does so much harm for us and I don't enjoy it very much as a fan. I have enjoyed it, but it, again, I feel like it does more harm than good in my experience. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's because managers tend to get sucked into playing stronger teams than they probably should. Yeah. Well, let, uh, let me phrase things more optimistically. I, I would be really excited to see what Spurs could do now with a season where they don't have to compete in Europe, where they're playing many uh, less games than they otherwise would and they have the training time and the resting time. But I, I do think that is achievable even playing in the Europa League, which, you know, Daniel Levy will certainly want us to play in Europe because of the yeah. financial implications. And I think if you just set your stall out early and, and take it as an opportunity for young players then I think it could be a good thing uh, in terms of keeping young players interested, fit, giving them experience, keeping fringe players match fit. But the problem is we know that won't happen because we've been mm. in the situation before and it hasn't happened so you end up seeing one or two or maybe three younger players involved but then you know Alderweireld will be playing every game still which is what we want to avoid. So that's the problem, it's more how you respond to it rather than the competition itself. Maybe Mourinho would be a bit more cut for it I don't know I think Mourinho would go for it we saw at Man United he wants it Mourinho yeah. loves collecting trophies if we whatever competition we're in I think Mourinho will will give everything try and win it yeah yeah you could be right um, 
Okay, so this is the first time we've recorded since Pochettino's, I guess, interview on, um, was it on BT Sport, I think, about the Champions League run. Uh, did either of you see it? I've still not seen it. No, it's dead to me. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I've, I've seen I've seen a little bit of clips here and there, but I haven't okay. seen the full thing. Okay, so the, he made a comment, didn't he, about the possibility of returning to Spurs at some point, I understand. And uh, James, who is uh, Jalahil on Twitter, he says, Poch's comments this week got me thinking about the coming documentary. Do you suspect sentiments around any particular people at the club to change once it airs this summer? I don't think any of us are truly prepared to watch this mess again. And I thought that was a really interesting question because most fans seem to have fixed opinions on Levy and Mourinho, for example, as two of the biggest characters in and around Spurs. Um, but do you think there's a possibility, Buddy, that our perspectives might shift somewhat having seen the All or Nothing Amazon documentary? Yeah, I, I definitely think there'll be a, a, a narrative or a story arc in there which Spurs are happy with and that they've agreed with. Pochettino saying about returning to Tottenham is, is not enough. Is, is not something new. He's often he speaks quite fondly about all the clubs he's been at. It's something that um, Diego Simeone continues to this day to talk about a glorious and a holy return at some point to Lazio. You know, it's it's just part of his personality. He's a nice guy, and that he would never say anything to upset Tottenham fans because that's just not who he is he, he he's, he's a wonderful he's a wonderful man who deserves far more in his Tottenham legacy than he actually got but I don't think he helps us I doesn't think I don't think he helps himself with these with these comments and I mean, I am curious to see where they take this all or nothing documentary because it was a it was a giant steaming mess of a of a football season so um hmm. yeah I, I don't know. I, I I don't have any hopes for this documentary being anything anything glorious for Tottenham and anything good coming out of it. To be honest, what do you think, Nathan? Do you, do you think there'll be some kind of adaptation to almost um, show how football responded to the pandemic within the yeah, documentary? Yeah, yeah. I, mean? I imagine that that will sort of <laughs> probably be one of the most interesting elements with, within it is that you're getting the documentation of of these events sort of with, 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 from the from the sports perspective. Um, I mean, on, on the question of like. Well, there be any sort of emerging villains like I, I imagine I haven't watched the City one I probably need to do that to get a better answer on this but like I've watched plenty of documentaries I've watched plenty of reality TV and, and that stuff is essentially fiction like they will create storylines out of the ability to edit bits of clips together and yeah. one person reacting to something that actually happened completely mm. earlier or whatever so um, don't believe the hype obviously um, but yes I wouldn't be surprised if, if there is sort of revelations about someone that we feel a certain way about and I I also wouldn't be surprised if those revelations are entirely created by editing. I mean, I, I watched the City one, and it, in parts, parts of it were quite interesting. The way they dealt with Van Dijk and Laporte, the way they made the decision not to chase Van Dijk anymore and decided that long-term Laporte was a was a better option for them. That, that, that was reasonably interesting. Some of the things that Guardiola would talk about that they would show was reasonably interesting, but there, there wasn't any... When the problem with I can watch the Michael Jordan last dance thing and find yeah. it riveted because I don't know the backstory. I don't know. I don't no, don't spoil it for me. But I have no idea if they if they win the title in um, 97, 98. So I'm watching it thinking, oh, what's going to happen? The problem with football documentaries is it, it we live our daily life so involved and transfixed about what happened that. I thought, there's, there's, what, what's, the, what's the spoiler going to be? They sack Pochettino, you, you know. <laughs> that, that Kane gets injured and 
You're so Kane disappointed at getting injured. Danny Rose causes a bit of fuss, but I don't. I don't think there's enough. There's enough drama there to I, uh, really make it that interesting. I actively avoid all Sunderland news just to make the Sunderland yeah. Netflix documentary <laughs> as exciting same. as possible. Same, same. I, um, the the young striker, his name escapes me now. What's his name? Um, yeah. The good. Yeah. I, I I I I wanted to Google where is he, but I've, no. Let me play this out. Let me find out where he goes. <laughs> and I, I thoroughly enjoyed the Sunderland one when they get to the the final. Um, do they get through? Do they get through? No, I, I knew they lost the checker trade. I didn't know they lost the other one. So, you know, it, it makes it interesting. Interesting. I think um, we have quite a likeable playing squad. And the thing that concerns me about the documentary is <laughs> whether they'll still be likeable at the end yeah. of it. Because there's bound to be someone who comes off bad, right? I could tell you already who's going to come out of this great Oliver Skip. I think <laughs> I think all the big guys will be really well managed by the, their own PR teams. I think Oliver Skip is going to come across as like a little Tottenham lad, super happy just to be there. The reason why he's never kicked up a fuss about being going on loan or anything is just he's just delighted to be at Tottenham playing <laughs> 20 minutes a season. Like I would if I was at Tottenham and I had 1 minute a season, I'd be just, I'd be the happiest man in the world, so <laughs> I think Skip's going to come out of it in a with really good PR. If any of the academy players are portrayed as like tantrum throwing uh, divas, <laughs> Windy is going to be so upset about this. I will have yeah. to deactivate my account. <laughs> There'll be no other option. Um, buddy, was the, the striker you were referring to in the Sunderland documentary? Was that Josh Madger? That's yeah. the chap, yeah. yeah. Who, who, who was, I don't know, in, in the documentary for, you can't really think any kind of tactical analysis, he didn't look that good, but he was able to finish. That was my impression from him. He, I liked, I liked, I liked him a lot. I want, I actually wanted us to sign him when he left. Um, not as a sort of starting player, but as a, as a prospect. Yeah. And he ended up going to Bordeaux. Yeah. He's done, he's done fine. He's done, he's done pretty well. But, um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there should have been more, uh, big clubs in this country sniffing around him because he definitely had talent. They did mention us that we were. They they do talk about Tottenham going to watch him on multiple occasions. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Nathan, what do you think about Pochettino's comments? We had a question here from Chris Parker who said, "How do you feel Poch's comments will affect Spurs as a whole? I fear that we will struggle to move on as a club with the idea of Poch returning whenever we hit a rough patch." Do you think there's some value in that? Probably, yeah. Because like, um, although no, I, I th- <laughs> whether or not we allow those comments to stick will depend on how how we move as a club from here on right if we go back to performing at those kind of levels or better then we'll move on for him and if we um you know are in a sort of a downward spiral now then we'll we'll feel really sore about his leaving and i i don't think his comments you know that's already the situation before his comments by the way josh major is on 0.4 expected goals per 90 over two seasons on board bordeaux so um we should still be sniffing around him as a prospect interesting yeah he's a good player um i i, I was intrigued i didn't see the um documentary or interview or whatever it was with Pochettino but the reaction on Twitter was was quite something I mean people were yeah. basically just pining for him to come back and I, I think whilst that is a nice sentiment and it is a nice sentiment because as Bardi says he's a nice guy he cared a lot about the club and we had a lovely ride with him at least in the middle of his Spurs career if not towards the end um it is to me, slightly problematic that I feel like in some ways this sort of undermines the stability of the club. The sort of pining for Pochettino. We the club has moved on, and so we we are forced to move on as fans, and and that is a painful thing. I, I appreciate, and some people were not over that breakup, uh, <laughs> and and probably won't ever be over that breakup because they didn't like the appointment of Mourinho for for many many reasons, some of which are very valid. 
Nathan, you were one. I mean, I remember the episode we recorded after Mourinho's appointment. You were very upset and sceptical. And I, I get it. I, I, I completely get it. But I do feel as though the best periods of supporting Spurs tend to come when the fan base is the most united. For me, that's that's one of the things I enjoy about supporting the club. I like feeling like we're all in it together from top to bottom and we're all focused in the same direction. And when this is kind of lingering over the club, or as, you know, as Chris puts it, the idea of him returning whenever we hit a rough patch, whilst that's in the back of your mind, it means we're probably not fully pointing in the same direction. I don't know. What do you think, Bardi? Yeah, I, there is. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, to be honest with you, I completely agree with you. There is this thing we need to we need to move on, and the whole pining for him to come back it it does. The, it, the problem isn't Pochettino; it's just what's happening now isn't very good. And when you're when you've split up with somebody and you've expected to move on to something better, something something jazzier, and I don't know where jazzy came from, but something <laughs> something better in general, and it's turned out to be worse. Then you do always look back to the glory days, but uh, I, we need to move on. The sooner Pochettino takes another job, the better. Yeah, this is the thing he needs to move on to. It's not good yeah. for him. And you, you're right with what you said before that he is always he always talks highly of all of his previous clubs. Whenever yeah. you listen to him talk about Southampton in a press conference uh, pre-match against Southampton, he would talk about them in glowing terms about the family he had there, the friends, the connection with the club. Mm-hmm. So that's just him. He's like that. Yeah, but he doesn't say he wants to go back to. Espanol, he says I don't. Want to, <laughs> he does, I don't want to manage Barcelona. Yeah, you know? but who would? Because to be fair, Espanol are rubbish. So there is. <laughs> like, I think. I think. I think the word for for Pochettino is courteous. He's a very courteous man, I, and for majority of his career at Spurs, he was until the day that Mike Dean really upset him. I don't think he's being courteous. I think he's being genuine, and yeah. we have to make the best possible decision for our club in terms of who we hire. We don't. Have, we shouldn't rely on nostalgia or sort of um, sentimentality. But I wouldn't rule out the possibility that the best decision somewhere down the line for the club to make would be to rehire Pochettino. I mean, I'm I'm racking my brains now to think of when clubs have rehired managers and if it's worked. Um, Juventus have rehired Lippi, didn't really work. Um, Milan rehired Saki, didn't work. I think they've gone back to Capello a few times. I'm trying to think of other teams that have rehired managers, and it doesn't it doesn't always work. The second second dance isn't always quite as good. I I, I agree. I'm I can't think of a counter example uh, what I will say most of the scenarios where clubs go back to a manager it's after quite a bit of time yeah. and it's sort of it's a nostalgia thing and it's a glory thing and the game has, has moved on they rehire a, a former legend the club sort of cross parts again mm-hmm. uh, somewhere down the line uh, and it's a very different circumstances I think that it'll be quite a while not ages but it'll be quite a while before Pochettino's style is outdated so I I Definitely, like 15, 20 years down the line, that's a terrible idea. But uh, I think it's it's possibly a sensible move within the next five years, but it, it completely depends on, on where we go and where he goes, of course. Yeah, I wasn't expecting you to say that, but it's really interesting as a as a talking point. Um, I, I think I think I find it hard to imagine. That's the that's the problem. Sure, uh, which which makes it feel intangible. But you're right. I mean, cold headed business Daniel Levy, <laughs> he'll do what the, the right thing is for his business, and if the right thing for his business is bringing back Pochettino to 
to continue, pick up where he left off, then then maybe it will happen. And I'm sure he's learnt some lessons along the way. That's for sure. And apart from anything else, the, you know, in two or three years' time, we may have a very different squad that will have negatives and positives, of course. But if there's mm. enough turnover there, then there's a freshness to it, mm. a freshness yeah. and a familiarity. And and maybe we'll even have a new structure with a uh, director of football or sporting director. <laughs> That'd be good. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, okay, next one's about cult players so, or, or underrated players. So this is from Joe Gilby, who emailed us at podcast at theextrange.co.uk. He says, there are lots of Spurs players who hold cult status at Spurs, even if they weren't world beaters. I was wondering, do you think it's do you think this is the Spurs player most underrated by the fans from the last 10 or 20 years? For me, it's Aaron Lennon. Bardi, does anyone stick out for you? And, and do you see Aaron Lennon as underrated is the other point, I suppose. I think him picking Aaron Lennon is is probably the one that stands out the most for me. He he did he we never lost a game where he scored. So he scored that, like five times. <laughs> he scored some big he scored against some big guys. Yeah. Um so Aaron Lennon is a good one. I I was thinking about this and there's two there's two really that stick out. Um one is a bit of a weird one. It's because I've been watching a lot of the the FIFA stuff and this was a recap of Euro two thousand eight and I was I watched all the goals from Euro two thousand and eight and Pavlichenko scored she scored a lot of goals at Euro two thousand eight. So that sent me into a Pavlichenko wormhole of <laughs> um a guy that he could he, he knew how to score, he knew how to hit the ball. His striking so, technique was fabulous. It was amazing. And he scored he scored more goals than you would think and he scored a variety of goals and I I don't think I just don't think he worked that well with Redknapp. Had he had another manager at the time then perhaps something better would have come on. But he remains a really good goal scorer. But the other one that sticks in my head is Okoto, Benoit Asu Okoto, who, who was at the club for I think nine years and he for about four years did make that left back role his own. He was never the greatest, but he was very steady. He was good on the ball. He was decent enough defending. He was good in possession. Scored the occasional goal. And the quest to find good fullbacks is is something that continues. If you look how much Man- Manchester City have blown on fullbacks over the last five years, and I think Okoto is one of those players who's gone under the radar. Uh, kept Bale out the team for goodness' sake, and perhaps one of the more underrated players over the last ten years or so. Interesting. He didn't come to my mind, but I think it's a a fair case you made there, Bardi. Um, How about you, Nathan? I don't think that Aaron Lennon is underrated. Uh, hang on, let me let me do some horrific spinning here. Uh, Aaron Lennon never managed to score in a game in which we didn't also go on to win, right? Um, I don't know. Yeah, obviously, very talented. Wait, 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 wait. So he, so he's he's but wait. So you're saying he scored in games we drew and he scored in games we won? Oh, okay, okay. He didn't manage to score in games in which we were the losing side. Okay, <laughs> when we needed him to step up and score a goal, yeah. he wasn't there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Uh, no, I, I don't want to like trash Aaron Lennon. He was a good player, uh, but I do think he was he was perfectly well celebrated within the Spurs fan base. Um, I don't know who I want to pick as uh, for me. Always the most underrated players are creative passers. Mm-hmm. Um, so Carrick, Huddleston, Modric, Eriksson. Um, yeah, certainly between them, there's some some failure to to appreciate certainly at their time 
Mm. Um, I think uh, I don't know who I would pick out of them as the particular one. I mean, I loved Huddleston. I I loved the way he moved. I loved the way he could hit the ball. I, he was a splendid footballer, and I've quite enjoyed in Football Manager 2012 managing Huddleston. And just just occasionally he has to play the box to box midfield role, and it's a bit of a slog <laughs> to see someone with nine acceleration trying to get around the pitch. But um, he's um, he was he was a lovely player as well, and he's, he scored some beautiful goals. He was he was he was a fantastic footballer, and I really enjoyed having him in the squad we just didn't quite find the right partner for him um in terms of getting legs around him because he he, he was so cumbersome at times uh, but you're right his his technique for or his touch was immaculate and his shooting and passing technique was fantastic uh Carrick was the one that stood out to me as well Nathan that was the, my first thought um so I agree with you there and on Lennon I'm actually going to go the other way and say that I thought Lennon was a bit overrated. I mean, I loved watching Lennon play. Don't get me wrong. He, when you're at game and Lennon gets the ball, you're out your seat because it's exciting to watch because he's really fast. But quite frequently, that would end with you sat back down in your seat pretty quick because there was limited end product. But you guys have got this all wrong. This is um, Colts. This is like Colt players, no? Right. I think it's a combination. In, Colt in... and Colt State. Michael Carrick, 100%, but he was at the club for a year. So you can't... I, I, sure. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm not yeah and, 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 and Nabet would have been a similar one. If he played it a bit well. longer, he, Nabet would have been a cult hero because he was really, really good and had a huge impact on those around him. Um, I think Pavlyuchenko is a good shout, you know, buddy. I think Redknapp used to say that he was way too laid back and that was the problem. There was sort of no fire in his belly. Uh, but he was a hell of a hell of a finisher, Pavlyuchenko. When you look at his compilations, he scored some fantastic goals. Uh, but yeah, we didn't quite, I don't think we quite got the best out of him either. I think he would be banging for us at the moment if we had Pavlyuchenko. Lichenko as a as an alternative to Kane on Pav's final goal. I think it was against a um, uh, Russian team in purple, and I remember being right behind the goal, up in the gods at White Hart Lane, seeing him put the ball down, and just thinking. I think I said to my mate, "Don't shoot, Pav. Just don't mm-hmm. shoot." And he absolutely levered it into the top <laughs> corner. You saw his leg go, and then the net was going. You you couldn't see it. I, they could have put ten goalkeepers in there; they wouldn't have saved it. Amazing. Uh, the other two that stand out to me are the the, the two lesser Croatians, Choluka and Kranchar, mm. who both had significant impacts at Spurs, but were perhaps a little bit under-celebrated because of Modric's contribution. Um, both fantastic players. Kranchar absolutely would go missing in games, and there's no doubt about that. But when he when he turned up, he was a fabulous player. And Choluka, because he was a little slow, uh, he was seen as a ponderous fullback, but I think that's unfair. I think he was a very effective fullback, and he was also very good at knowing when to attack. Uh, and I, I always enjoyed him at right back. I, I never felt like we were... Uh, well, for example, you compare his defensive ability to Aurier and there's no, there's absolutely no comparison. I felt much more secure with Chorluka at, at right back. Um, so yeah, I would, I would put him down as an underrated and perhaps even a cult player. Uh, to end the podcast, we have a question from Matthew Walbridge who says, can we have Wendy's review of the potential in the development squad to impact on the first team over the coming seasons given potential transfer restrictions? Uh, and this is, I mean, it's an interesting one because we've spoken about Spurs' youth development or lack of in some length a few times and there is a little bit of a there's a little bit of a gap at the moment I would say because of that lack of development and the previous lack of loans under Pochettino so we're, we're a couple of years away basically probably from from bringing players through aside from Skip who could probably get more minutes now and be fine uh, but who might get a loan next season and Parrot who again I, I think could get minutes and do a good job 
Aside from them, you've got Jack Clark, who we signed from Leeds and sent swiftly on loan back to Leeds and then recalled him and sent him to QPR. Probably another sort of mishandling of, of a prospect there, but Jack Clark is excellent. And although there were sort of injury concerns regarding the sort of funny turn he had at Leeds, I'm not too worried about that. And I've seen him play for England since, and he's really stood out in his age group. So I'm very excited still about Jack Clark. Now, Harvey White, who I've spoken about before, who's a midfielder who is probably the best set piece taker at the club he's really really good and I'd like to see him get some exposure to the first team if he's not on loan next season Janil Bennett who this week posted a compilation of some of his goals from the season on his Instagram and he scores a lot of bangers often cutting in off the left flank and letting fly he's really really good as well and Dennis Serkin who's the one that Mourinho pretty much name-checked straight out and involved in some, some first-team squad. Serkin's a left-back. He's a, he's a sort of marauding left-back. And I'm very excited about his prospects. The two behind them, who were a bit younger, so you probably won't be hearing their names for a while, but there is definitely some hype about them, are Niall John and Max Robson, uh, both of whom are attacking midfielders who play in different ways. John can play box-to-box as well. Um, Robson can play as a second striker. Both really talented. Uh, John is an England regular in a talented England group so is definitely one to watch and Robson's had a standout season for the under 18 so next year he'll be getting more regular games for the under 23s uh, any any uh, any of those names stand out to you Nathan um or any well, others well Parrot is the is the, obviously the one I'm excited about um 100% uh, no John I recognize Max Robson I don't so that they're beginning to sort of seep through the cracks for, for their height mm. um obviously the others they all know by name but um yeah, I mean, I just, I've got so much passion for Troy Parrott, man. Buddy, do you think you might get some games next year? Yeah, I think so. I guess it depends what we sign in terms of a striker, doesn't it? But uh, we, what we can't do is keep Parrott and not play him. He either needs to be with us playing or out on loan. We can't have a year of him doing nothing. That would be a huge error. Would you Would you accept youth games for him at this? Because he is he will still only be eighteen and nineteen next year. Would you Would you be okay with under twenty ones games for him? I think he's beyond that point. He's too good for that level of football and he needs to be playing proper men's football now, either in the Football League or off the bench for us. I think he's that good. Uh, Before we go, any recommendations for isolation? What have you been watching, listening to, uh, rediscovering, Nathan? Uh, I've been watching Devs, uh, which is on iPlayer at the moment. It's coming over from America. Uh, It's written by Alex Garland, who wrote uh, The Beach. Beach. Yeah, and also uh, the screenwriting for Ex Machina, uh, which is sort of, or Ex Machina, which is sort of more along the lines of devs. It's a bit of sci-fi, computery. I guess it's sort of a tiny bit Black Mirror, but not so um, dystopic, although in parts. Um, it's a thriller. Um, it, it, it's it's a high-concept drama, and I think a lot of high-concept dramas, especially that you find on the BBC, are like all style and lacking in substance and the sort of the concept gives way to the drama and suddenly the the concept dissipates and i think that they that garland does a good job of sticking with the concept and exploring the concept um so yeah i i just finished it last night i really enjoyed it nice nice how about you buddy um i've been as i mentioned it already i've been enjoying the hashtag world cup at home from from fifa watching the full matches i've watched obviously nigeria against italy from 94 watched the greatest football match ever of germany versus italy 2006 um i've got loads of interesting documentaries on there and it's something when i'm working from home if i'm doing something which is really kind of tedious and monotonous i'll put that on and keep and watch a watch an old football match the greatest football match ever germany versus italy was fantastic proper 
proper football match. Why is it so good? Well, one because Italy win. Yeah, <laughs> but um, you've got you've got a team. You've got the Germans who are at home are doing everything to try and win the match, and you've got the Italians who uh, are so frightened of going to penalties. They're doing everything to win the match, and Italy finish up with four strikers on the pitch because they're just they're so frightened of, of going into a penalty shootout. And you have one of the most stunning centre back performances ever from Cannavaro. You have an incredible performance from Gattuso and Pirlo. You have Podolski run doing doing mad things with his left foot. Uh, yeah. Balak. It's an incredible game versus with two incredible teams going at it, hammer and tongs for 120 minutes. Nice. nice. You sold it well there. Fair play. Mm. Uh, I've been plodding on with Boardwalk Empire and very much enjoying it. Uh, that was a good call, Bardi, when you when you said I should watch that next. Uh, Richard Harrow is a fabulous character, really great character. Uh, so he's he's a guy who uh, has lost essentially half his face in the war and uh, is where it has to wear a, a mask to cover it up. And it, it just leads to some really fascinating storylines, story and it's very mm. well told. He's he's a great actor. I don't know, I, I've not seen him in other things, I don't think, but he's really, really good. Uh, and I've been listening to an album that Thelonious from The Fighting Cock recommended to me. It's a year old, but I find in this summery weather, it fits perfectly. And the album is called Black Beans, and it's by uh, a group called, or two two MCs called um, Choosy and Exile. So I would highly recommend that, Black Beans. Great listening. All right, good to catch up with you, boys. Thank you, Wendy. Until next time. Ciao, ciao. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D. Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.